0: Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to Episode 70. Now, have you ever experienced feelings of anxiety, overwhelm, or even burnout in your agency job? We all know that working in an agency can be fun and rewarding, but it's also really fast-paced, and many account managers I speak to are juggling lots of different client relationships, multiple projects, and reacting to the inevitable unexpected fires that also need to be put out. And let's be honest, some days, weeks, or even months can be constantly busy and feel pretty relentless. Now, particularly for account managers, you definitely need a high level of personal resilience and also a certain degree of resourcefulness and being able to keep your cool when dealing with problems. Now, I recently had some training myself to help me with my own resilience called Quality of Mind. And it was unlike any other training I'd experienced before because it was talking about how the mind actually works. And it hasn't only helped me with my resilience, it's also impacted very, very positively in all sorts of areas of my life. Now, the foundations of this training that I did were based on what's known as non-duality, the direct path. And since the training three months ago, I've been pretty riveted by this topic and I've managed to read four books. So for me, that is pretty good going because I'm a very slow reader. And also I've watched a couple of documentaries on YouTube. I mean, I felt like I was discovering a big secret with this training, but I've been surprised to see that it was actually just this world that I knew nothing about. And that these principles that I learned have already been adopted by thousands of individuals, business leaders and organizations. Now, I had personally never come across this training and anything quite like it. It really is very different and transformative. And so I've been so impacted about what I've learned that I wanted Piers Thurston to come on and share these principles of this quality of mind training with you, because I thought this could really help people working in agencies. Now, if what you hear in this podcast interview is interesting and you want to explore further, Pierce has also agreed to run a mini free training session. So I'll be talking about it later, but we're going to run a free webinar on Wednesday, this September the 14th at one o'clock UK time. So I'll also include a link in the show notes. But if you want to have a look at the page there, it's bit.ly forward slash quality of mind. So it's bit bit.ly forward slash quality of mind. So I hope you are as intrigued as I was by this. And without further waffling from me, let's go over to Pierce now and the introduction. Well, today's episode, I'm super excited about speaking to Pierce Thurston. Pierce is an organizational change consultant and founder of Quality of Mind, He's got 20 years of experience in coaching and professional development. And the Quality of Mind program is the foundation of all human potential. And it addresses what's essentially before psychology, i.e. what's before mindset or behavior. He's also the host of the Quality of Mind podcast. And having been through Piers' Quality of Mind program myself and seen firsthand how transformational it's been for me, I was desperately keen to get him on to the show to talk about how we could translate this for those working in the creative industry. And it turns out that Piers already has quite a lot of experience working with other agencies. So Piers, welcome to the show.
1: Jenny, hello. Pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really looking forward to our chat.
0: Me too. So would you mind starting by just sharing some of your experience and background up to the point where you started Quality of Mind?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'll give a nutshell of the last sort of 25 years. So I actually read law at university, but didn't find that massively interesting. But I was lucky enough at the time to be sponsored by Guinness, which is a big drinks company. And I worked in United Distillers and I worked in marketing for them. And I really got interested in brands, innovation, consumers, because i am always been interested in psychology, always at how people tick, whether that's consumer behavior or why people do what they do when they walk down the street. So I first of all went into FMCG sales and marketing for a couple of years. And then I realized how important it was, the human element of a business. So I was working in big corporations like Walker Snack Foods and Mars. And I realized, actually, it doesn't matter how great your product is or how great your innovation is, it's all about the human part. And I came across in about 1999, two things at about the same time. One was called coaching, which was a new thing that was coming into the UK. Previously, coaching had been all about sport, but this is more about personal development coaching. And something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I put those two things together and thought, wow, this really makes a difference to people in how they live their life and their goals and their happiness, et cetera, et cetera. And I went through that for about sort of, Eight, nine, 10 years, collecting lots of tools and techniques and approaches, going up the ladder of what you need to be to be a trainer of this and a coach of that. And I was working both with private clients and with organizations, big and small, around innovation and leadership, team development, visioning. I did a lot of training of other coaches as well in NLP and in coaching skills and a lot of manager and leader as coach. And then in about 2008, I was lucky enough by one of my mentors in the States to be pointed in a slightly different direction, something which to start with I thought was the same as what I was doing then I realized it wasn't. It was something actually called the three principles as articulated by Sydney Banks. And that turned everything upside down for me and started me to look at what we are before psychology. And then really over the last 10, 12 or so years, I've developed further down that and got more what i would describe as upstream and more into what is technically now called direct path non-duality which is a is a form of a if you could call it a spiritual understanding but what we do with quality of mind is we've codified that to work with people in a very practical organization way in the workplace in leadership in teamwork in change in all those things so it's sort of bridging spirituality and psychology so we go from the profound to the practical. And the last thing I'll say in my sort of nutshell ramble is I feel incredibly grateful. Just what a gift it is that I do what I do. I've worked for myself in in my own small business for 20, 25 years. And I love it. I absolutely love it because every day is a learning day and it's infinite. And I, I love watching people wake up to this. So that's me in a nutshell. And you can see your energy when you do the program, it
0: oozes from you and how passionate you are. So I can honestly say that that is the truth. So you did sort of NLP, normal kind of coaching for 10 years, then you changed path. What for you was so compelling about the chosen path, the quality of mind training versus what you've done in the past?
1: Well, I think it's realization based, really. So I had some realizations, which I'll describe in a moment, that when I started to see them, I just didn't see the value in what I was talking about from the more psychological approaches of NLP and coaching and things. And what I started to see was more about the nature of what we are as human beings, the nature of reality, of consciousness, of thought, of the mind, of the self. And through some realizations of that, for what I saw, it no longer made sense to help people in the way I was. And actually, I couldn't even help it. My mouth just started moving differently and saying different things and <laughs> pointing to different directions, going against all of my training as a coach, you know, and an NLP, which, you know, is quite quite a sort of concept and application based model. And I just started to see more and more of the simplicity really and the power of recognizing what we are, as I say, the true nature of what we are in the mind and how. We've innocently, invisibly got caught up in a lot of our psychology, but we can't tell really. I mean, I couldn't tell for 30, 40 years, you know, that that was sort of in the way I thought it was helpful, but it's not. But it isn't until you've seen it that you really recognize that. And I know you've been through some of that experience very recently, Jenny, so you can probably relate to that. But it is quite hard for someone who hasn't been through that to recognize it. But it was through realization and just seeing what I saw as true and, and, and always wanting to have the most valuable conversation I could with my client not give them the old stuff sort of thing.
0: So when you were training the NLP stuff and the coaching stuff, I mean, it worked to a certain mm. extent, but how do you describe the difference between what you were doing there and what people told you was the impact and now the impact of what you're
1: teaching now? Like, can you see the two? Mm. It's such a good question because back then I used to get great feedback. People would find, you know, what I do very powerful and and that was genuine. I don't think they weren't making it up and it, it looked to me like it was doing that. So what's the difference to now? I think the difference now, well, there's two things, really. I think some of the benefit they were getting back then, which is these sort of transformational shifts, they were getting despite what I was doing, not because of what I was doing. Wow. <laughs> and I've actually got more and more elegant in pointing to that now. But the second thing was some of the changes they were getting were helping them at one level, but it helped them do life better. Right, definitely. But what people find now is they have realizations around quality of mind is there really is no doing of life that needs to be done, right? When we recognize the nature of what we are, life lives us. And there's a magic in creation, in relating, connecting, beauty, love, resilience, imagination. All these things are there. And there's a more effortlessness about life. And that may, for some people change what they do in life, you know, but they will sail more than row. So you could say in the past, I was good at making people row faster, good at making them have a bigger, fatter, larger goals and getting over their limitations. So getting over themselves. Now it's more about helping them recognize that we don't need to get over ourselves or around ourselves. We just need to fall back into what we truly are. And then the wind just takes us. And there's a real Pervasive, as I mean, wide-ranging, transformative benefit, and life feels different. So, the one thing I would also say from people that have the understanding of quality of mind is they can get more juice out of each moment of life without doing anything. They don't need bigger or better things. They just see the beauty and the richness in the ordinary, and that once people see it, it you know they can lose sight of it in the moment, but it's always there, and they can easily click back into it.
0: It's so deep what you've just said. And certainly, I mean, partly I'm asking you the question because I'm sure there are people listening thinking, well, I'm doing NLP or I've done NLP and that's all I know. So what is this that Pierce is talking about? And the other thing that I wanted to say was the analogy of rowing versus sailing was what absolutely got me about the program. Because that is exactly what I feel the change has been. But can you, for those listening, because I think you've done a really good job in setting it all up and getting people kind of, oh my gosh, now he's got my attention. Can you give us a flavor of how the training actually
1: works? Yeah, and Jenny, you know, because you've spent three days doing this but it's hard to give a gist but let me just give a little flavor so i'll tell you what the training isn't we, we don't go and tell you prescriptions on behavioral prescriptions here's what you should do you know 10 top tips to have a better work-life balance we don't need prescriptions on mindset and attitude saying you know be authentic be open-minded you know we, we don't do any of that and we also don't tell people to analyze their patterns and their traits and their style and their personality typology we don't do any of that right? So then you're like, well, what's there then? If you're not doing either of those two things, where does this magic come from? What we get people to do is to explore. And we call it inquiry, a direct experience inquiry, which means exploring without your belief system, telling you what it thinks, right? And we it's a very simple, basic thing. And actually, we've got a podcast on our show that takes people through the whole process if they want it. But I'll give you just a taste of it now, is we ask people to think in, in any moment of experience of of being alive what is actually going on right and we don't mean reference your neurology or your eyes or all the things you've been taught in science literally from the very moment of you being in your day you'll notice perceptions turn up right so people now might be listening to this or 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 doing what they're doing so perceptions turn up sensations sensations of being alive whatever it might be and now thoughts will come in right? That's going on. That's just occurring in the moment. Now, if you get curious, you just think, well, all of those things come and go. Everything we perceive, think, feel, comes and goes. What is it that is there before that? Now, if you ask someone's intellect that, they would go, well, me, I'm there, the self, the the peers, the Jenny, the whoever. But then it doesn't take you long to go, oh, well, that. Piers Jenny is also a thought because sometimes it's not there. And when I'm in what we would call flow state or in the zone, or I lost myself in a book or a movie or a conversation or exercise, I'm not there. So then we start to see that the self is just a thought. And a thought, you know, that a thought could be I fancy broccoli for lunch, not tomatoes, right? That's a thought. But so's the self. But it's such a compelling thought that we think we are this thing. So we start to see that the self comes and goes and everything else comes and goes. So that's not really what we are. So we've got a case of mistaken identity going on. Now, why is this relevant? Is that just a bit of interesting thing philosophically? Well, it's relevant because what starts to happen is we realize that 95% of our thinking is that self protecting or seeking, not even the visible thought, but a lot of our conditioning and our programming as if that self is the center of attraction that needs to control and manage the world, right? Manage the future or protect itself from other people or whatever. And that's what gets in the way of us being in a beautiful flow state and just sailing to go back to the metaphor we used. So, really, we go right back to the foundation of understanding that we've got a mistaken identity about the self. We're hoodwinked to think that the world that we perceive and think and feel is true, objectively true. So materialism says there's a world out there that has a almost like a causal power. We start to see, no, that's illusionary mm-hmm. because that world that's being created is a perceptual rendering, a bit like a virtual reality headset. It's real, but not true. So, We've got some fundamental shifts to look at here, one that the self we think is this thing that's an entity that does everything for us isn't, it's not the epicenter, it's just an appearance, and the reality that we're perceiving isn't objectively true, it's real, as in we can feel it, smell it, sense it, but it's not true, it has no causal power. And then when both of those two things sort of come together, we find that what's behind that is in a beautiful, infinite load of resourcefulness, resilience, creativity, imagination, inspiration, love, connection, possibility. That's all just sitting there within our infinite potential. But we are very innocently, very invisibly hoodwinked to see that. Now, it comes through in moments. People have it. And they then attribute that usually to a thing. Oh, I get it when I cook, so I do more cooking. It's not about cooking, right? That's just yourself settling down and getting out of the way. So we know it's sort of there, but we've completely misunderstood how to get hold of it or to allow it to reveal itself. And particularly in the workplace, if I just dance to the workplace, because ourselves, this conceptual mind, personal mind self, is very active in the workplace. We don't know it half the time but it really is. And that's why people lose their mojo, you know, and then they seek to get it back, That they were look in weird places for it, like in activities, either external ones or, or even in things like mindfulness and meditation, or, you know, they seek for it there. But when we realize it's our true nature, that's when the needle shifts. So I've given you a very long answer about something quite big there, but I don't know whether that really did your question justice, Jenny. So please pull me up on it or ask me more or whatever.
0: obviously I'm familiar with what you're saying. So, I mean, if you're listening to this for the first time, it might feel like, wow, gosh. I mean, the way I came to this was because many years ago, I saw a documentary on quantum physics and it felt like what you were beginning to talk about was a kind of along the same lines about, you know, the nature of reality. But going back to why this is relevant and how this helps in the workplace, tell us a bit more about, you know, that disengagement piece. So someone sitting in their job, because I think this is where it could be practical for people listening, you know, because there's probably someone listening, thinking, God, I'm overwhelmed at work. You know, hiring is a massive issue at the moment. So we can't recruit people fast enough. So I'm overwhelmed with work. Thinking about, you know, pointing to the nature of reality and the nature of thoughts and perceptions and feelings. Talk to me a bit more about how that can help someone in that kind of state currently?
1: Yeah. And I work with a, a lot of businesses and I work with a lot of people in Marcoms and things, and they have got a lot to do. And it's always like more, 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 less people to do it with, clients wanting more and more and more. So it's quite easy to feel that overwhelm, and juggling, and plate spinning, and no time to truly think in, in an expansive new way. So, how does this seemingly philosophical or scientific or, or highfalutin thing help practically? Well, and this is one of the beauties of it, but it's sort of good news, bad news, because the bad news is there's no tool or technique to help your resilience or your overwhelm or whatever. It's not like I can give you like, a, like an NLP, I could have given you a tool. But the good news is there's no tool, right? Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, it happens through realization and it happens through the system recalibrating, right? Now you might think, well, what does that mean? Well, as we mentioned earlier, that we have a lot of self-identification going on with the content of our reality, right? Now, let's look at little human beings that don't do that, two or three year olds. Now, how quickly do they go from overwhelmed to total peace of mind? Very fast. Why? Because they don't self-identify with the content of their perceptions. So what happens with us As we start to see this understanding, and it happens, I'm going to say by itself, what what I mean by that, once you have the realizations, the implications just drip through where they're needed really, is people will find they don't get stuck down in the overwhelm for so long, or it dissolves in the first place and never turns up. So things that would have maybe, let's call it triggered them, don't, or if it does, it just doesn't stick. It's no longer made of Velcro. Right. <laughs> you're just in it and then you're out. Oh, and you don't have to do anything to come out. It's just a little, oh, you start to see it more. And then as this recalibration carries on, things just dissolve. So the self mind and a lot of its conditioning that was coming from a protecting or seeking place just dissolves. So it just gets better and better the more we recalibrate to the system. So the short answer is there's no tool or technique, but the realizations do the heavy lifting. Now, Some people find that way of cause and effect that doesn't fit with their world, but it doesn't take long for you to start to see that it does, right? Especially when you start to look at, well, how has realization happened in the past? Did I do anything to get a realization and a habit change? No, it tends to just sort of turn up. But we're really helping people understand how to be more fertile to having realizations that allows mindsets to change and dissolve and new ones turn up.
0: Mm -hmm. Love that. On the course, Piers, you talked about something that personally resonated with me, which was layering, the concept of layering. And I'll probably butcher this, but essentially, you know, thoughts, as you just said, pass through you. But sometimes we kind of self-sabotage by putting too much emphasis on that thought rather than letting it pass through you, kind of layering upon it in your own little world. So, you know, that client's been really nasty to me. Well, actually, I'm always having trouble with this client. And actually, maybe it's because I'm not very good at my job. And you know, my performance has really got bad. And actually, that's what they said to me the other day, this boss of mine, all of a sudden, you're telling yourself this story, layering upon one simple thought that actually, it felt real, but was it really true? So can you talk to me a bit more about this layering concept?
1: Yeah. So layering is one of the sort of nicknames we give to one of the implications of people having what we would describe as a contracted aperture or an overactive conceptual mind, which most of us have, by the way, just (laughs) in case you're feeling like, oh, just me. No, no, we all do this. But it's one of the implications. And and there's a few of them. And layering is one. And layering, you, you described it really nicely, Jenny, to be honest. So if we compare it to flow, so in flow, perceptions and thoughts just come in and they go out and nothing needs to happen to them from a psychological efforting perspective it just occurs and we act on them as if nature is just living us, right? So there's nothing to do psychologically. Layering is when the mind, the personal mind, has sort of attached itself to a perceptional reality and then starts meaning-making with narratives. The two most common layers that we put in are judgment and justification. So a justification is to, well, no wonder this is difficult because the client was difficult last time and other people find it difficult right? Or justification, you know, about, oh, well, yeah, everyone finds it's You know, it's a justification. The mind likes to justify. Or a judgment that the layer would come in and say, that's because I'm not very good at this. Or they're an idiot. It could be a judgment about someone else. It doesn't have to be a judgment about you. But So judgment and justification are the most two common layers that that the self puts in. And they will look real and true whilst we're in a contracted aperture. When a more expanded aperture, we start to see through them and go, huh? And you're like, well, that's not the case. What's going on there? So That sometimes might be the next morning when you re-look at the email from the client and you go, yeah, that bothered me yesterday, but it doesn't this morning. Yeah, And nothing's changed. The client email is still there. And you're looking at your reply going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have replied like that. Or maybe you kept it in drafts and you you, you caught onto yourself a little bit. So layering is a nice practical way to see some of the implications of what we're talking about. Now, in NLP days, I would have given you a tool to fix your layering, right? A psychological tool. But we don't do that with quality of mind. We enable people to see through it. Which is
0: so much more powerful. Which is more powerful.
1: And as you beautifully said the other day, it then eclipses everything else we need. You know, we don't need anything else. Quality of mind is everything we need. So, yes, recognize the layering is a psychological implication. But then the quality of mind way of seeing that doesn't fix it with a tool, which is just a tactical fix we see through the essence of it.
0: And I think this is so useful. And that's why I'm keen to kind of share it with more account managers, because this is the reality of our day-to-day jobs. It's tough. It's hard. And actually, you know, it's even harder when you are sort of in this kind of mindset and you're not helping yourself. So, I mean, the other day, Piers, you very elegantly put something on my post, which I want to read out, Because we were talking about the role of the account manager and how quality of mind could be beneficial. And you described the account manager's role as a catch all of always being able to find the relevant blend of creativity, resilience, perspective, empathy, inspiration, clarity, and balance, whatever the situation, whoever the client, like a Swiss army knife of resourcefulness and potential. That was, first of all, that was beautifully said. But specifically, can we talk a little bit more about? how learning the quality of mind principles could help account managers specifically because you've obviously got experience working with this. yes
1: managers. um and i was just thinking that, that yeah that's like eager that is quite a nice description Piers, well done <laughs> so so, so that there's there's an example of layering where i put a layering going well done me so how could quality of mind help that well i i think what's really key to see is in that role and roles like that, you know, you have to turn your hand to anything, you know, from very sort of practical things to very human things. And there's a base level of attributes that we kind of need to be good at that. So it is what I say there, you know, that ability to have clarity and creativity and resilience and connection and inspiration, that they're all the things we need, whatever the context is you know or the particulars is that's what we need it's they're generally attributes of a high quality of mind what we call a high quality of mind of an open aperture available to anyone so what happens when we understand the principles and the foundation sign quality of mind is our ratio shifts if you like we spend more of our time in that open aperture that high quality of mind where those traits that we just described are more available to us So some people might go, well, yeah, about 20% of my day, I'm able to feel access to all those things. But 80% I'm not. And it obviously varies on the day and the week. Then we'll shift that ratio, right? And the reason we're able to shift that ratio is because what's in the way of that for us is, and it may not look like it, is this misunderstanding and the identification of the self-mind and all our layering and our lids and our invisible noise going on. That's what's in the way. Because account managers will know that when they're in, let's call it a good space, they can deal with pretty much anything. They might need a little bit of experience, right? So there is a little bit of learned conceptual experience that comes from knowing the way the Marcoms world works and maybe knowing a little bit about the client. So I'm not saying you could come in brand, brand new and completely nail it. But having said that, your ability to learn and assimilate with the industry would get really fast if you're an open aperture. You get more absorbent, I guess. So... When we're in that sailing mode, we just find that stuff's more available, right? It's not like we're going to have to manufacture it through psychological efforting, which is what I would have taught in NLP, you know, like, well, imagine, you know, you can create this state where you're feeling more resourceful. That tactically might help, but it's kind of, it's psychologically intensive and it requires effort and that kind of thing. So those things that the account manager is are natural, emergent, innate superpowers of any human being. And they come forward and present themselves more when we're in a higher quality of mind, which we get from understanding the principles behind quality of mind. This
0: is, I think, the shift that I feel I've made. Like you said, it's not here's a step by step, here's a tool you can do, here's a technique, which relies on the fact that you're going to remember the tool at the time in the moment. This is pointing to, and as you say, a realization of how the mind works, which means kind of the quality of mind training is redundant after that because once you've understood you know not redundant completely you need sort of maybe a kind of a refresher or a reminder of these principles but it's always going to be with you once you see it you can't unsee it and that's what makes it for me such a powerful shift is I have that knowledge now I have that resourcefulness you know I do understand that in an open aperture I'm going to be so much more resilient resourceful tapping into this ability to come up with ideas, solutions, naturally and effortlessly. And it's just noticing when you're in a contracted aperture or an open aperture. And once you know it, you know it, which I think is phenomenal because you're not having to keep learning new things. It's a principle. And as you say, you point to it, you have the realization, how do particularly agencies talk about the impact that quality of mind have had on their day-to-day jobs and lives
1: yeah and just before I answer that question just to echo what you just said because what we're looking at as a foundation it's already there so we don't need to learn it it's not additive and if anything it's a subtractive it's an unlearning right because it's already there so The simplicity of what the realization gives us is, oh my gosh, it's already there. And things drop off to allow it to emerge, which is why you don't have to do it. Now, you can lose sight of it in the moment when we're in a contracted aperture, but deep down, there's a knowing it's going to come back. So, and it doesn't matter so much. So, let me just go to a question about agencies. So, I mean, yeah, I'm lucky enough to work with quite a few agencies over the last sort of, you know, five, six, seven years. and, And actually, they found it useful in all sorts of areas. So, one big network group I work with, they wanted to bring in the UK, to start with, they had about 10 businesses, all in different parts of the Marcom's, you know, disciplines, some overlap, and they wanted to bring them all together to work in a more integrated and collaborative way. But they were all rewarded and individually at a P&L level and very, very hard driven on their numbers. And they were all ex-owner managers of those businesses that had been sort of assimilated. So there were some egos, there was some reward structure that all went against the idea of working in collaboration. <laughs> Even though long-term or medium-term, there's probably some value in working together in a more joined up way, you know, synergy and stuff. So what we did there was we worked with the senior leadership team to help them see what they couldn't see around the value of working together and truly working together, not just saying it and then going off and not really doing it. So there was a dissolving of sort of ego even though that it wasn't egotistical but just seeing the bigger picture and be willing to have faith in a direction even if you couldn't see the tangible benefits and even if it went against some of your short-term tangible benefits if you like so that was one thing we did just bringing some people together so they could all see things differently we've worked directly with account teams i mean there's one i won't mention the name that they had as a very very challenging big 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 retail client they had that is incredibly drives the, the creative team and and actually the whole account team and everyone really hard. It's about 120 people in the agency that work on this one account and it was helping them really I guess with their resilience being able to see what they could about that so that they didn't get so burnt out and so stressed and could service the client in a great way. So we worked on that. I've worked quite a lot on sort of leadership as well in helping people manage in a way because in agencies leaders i'm generalizing horribly here leaders tend to be quite doers as well right and they kind of like being indispensable and they you know because of the client relationship they always got to be involved or they think they have and that isn't always great for nurturing talent beneath you you know because the other person's always got the, the person sitting atop of them so it's helping leaders be true leaders rather than just sort of doers who might spend half a day a year being a leader. And how do you get the best out of your people when they're busy, stressed and got challenging clients? Because, you know, no client wants to speak to a stressed account guy on the phone, that they want to come off the phone and feel they've got this, they've got it. I, the client, feel more relaxed and, you know, positive about what's happened because of this phone call I've just had. Right. And there's creative solutions coming out of there and they're understanding me. They're on my wavelength. That's what clients want. And that is quite quality of mind sensitive. Right, Even just the vibe of that. So how do you lead it? Do you bring that out of people and allow them to have some autonomy? Right. Because often agencies don't like making mistakes because if they make a mistake, then the client might get angry and then they might lose billings. So there's quite a lot of control mechanisms in which makes you feel a bit squashed. So is it okay to, you know, empower people to work in a way I work with lots of people over lockdown around remote working around that and that kind of thing, you know, being able to manage with autonomy and lead like that. We've also worked with client service teams where they've had a very challenging client that sort of pulled the team apart and putting them back together again. So lots of different ways it turns up, Jenny, really.
0: And can I get a little bit granular with you Mm. only because I know my account managers so well and I'm sure many are going to be very intrigued by this, at this kind of tapping into resources, into your natural resilience. Because one of the questions that always comes up for me is, how do I manage a difficult client? Now, if we apply the principles of quality of mind to that specific scenario, can you give us any kind of glimmers of help in terms of how to approach it differently?
1: Yeah, so and this is kind of half an answer if anyone's expecting a you know technique or tip I'm not going to give them that but I am going to give you the start of a direction to look in <laughs> <laughs> Great. if you like right so let's imagine the client rings the mobile or an email comes in and just notice what we would call in quality of mind language the aperture but just notice what the sensations in the feeling of life does in the let's call it the body does when that phone rings and you can see the client's name there or the inbox pings and it's the client right this is the difficult client and what you'll probably notice is there's a slight tightening or a heaviness or a you know or whatever it is we've all been
0: there
1: (laughs) all been there right now what that is telling you is not oh my god difficult client incoming batten down the hatches how am i going to punch my way out of this right that is telling you right Aperture is slightly contracted, right? Which means I don't want to be believing my narratives too much. I'm seeing the world in a slightly distorted way. I haven't got full access to resourcefulness, to my clarity, my creativity, my synthesis, my inspiration. That's all on sort of 50% power, right? (laughs) Or even lower, depending on what reaction is. And the first thing is just to spot that, because what we describe in quality of mind is that the aperture we are in in any moment determines two things. The world that we see and render, right? The world that we feel and see and our access to our resourcefulness. So if we can, first of all, spot that really there's at one level, at one level, there's no such thing as a difficult client. Now, we might have county ex all around the world going, yes, there is. You haven't met this one, right? <laughs> but I mean, at the level of the game of life, there's this thing we can call difficult client relatively. But difficult is a layer. That we've put in. And whether we find that a lovely creative challenge to how to deal with the thinking of this client, or we think, oh my gosh, this is going to catch me out and I'm going to lose my job because of this, is down to our own narrative. So the practical tip is to spot your aperture, which is a felt thing. And we've got videos about this. If people want to look at it, little two-minute videos. And just see what that does to the way you see the world and your access to your resourcefulness. And if you can just spot that, it means you're not as squished up against it, and that gives you a bit of space for it to dissolve or something fresh to come in. Now, I don't know if it's the right level of granularity for the time and the audience we've got, Jenny, but you tell me. I think that's fantastic because,
0: I mean, I think probably everyone to a certain extent listening can identify with exactly the experience that you've just described because a lot of it is about anticipation, isn't it? You know, I had a missed phone call from a client and actually I was being coached at the time, obviously not quality of mine. this was many years ago, and all of a sudden I said... I know what he's going to say. He's going to say this. And then he's going to say that. And I think it might be about this. Before you know it, my whole body and sensation was in a level of anxiety and stress. Now that was me generating all of that from one Miss call. You don't talk about that wasn't true. And actually it was completely the opposite. When I called him back, it was about something completely unrelated. So I think what I'm saying with this, I think there is this noticing of what kind of, aperture do I have? What kind of state am I in? Versus knowing that you have this ability to tap into something so much more abundant. And I think that's what excites me as well about learning the quality of mind principles is that it's there. You just need to tap into it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if I take your little example there a bit further, what's lovely about that is let's say that you had phoned the client back and it was something they were angry about or annoyed about rightly or wrong, who cares, you know, it doesn't matter. But you like, they weren't actually being nice, you know, they were like, right? Even if it was that, our ability to deal with that, to be resourceful, find solutions, listen deeply, be empathetic, whatever it is, right? And how much we will let it get to us, if you want to call it that, will be determined by our aperture in the moment. So we're not saying, oh, don't believe the universe because bad things don't happen. Yes, they do. Yeah, you'll get grumpy clients, whatever. But your ability to let that affect you and your resourcefulness to deal with that is all down to the mind, right? And that's why we're always better at solving someone else's problems than our own. Or, you know, when you come back from holiday for a couple of weeks, you're like, I've got this, I've got it, right? And you pointed to it just a minute ago, Jenny, that we really have no idea as to the resourcefulness that we have, the infinite resourcefulness that we have and the magic of creation and what happens and we also deeply underappreciate the fact that the presenting reality can't damage what we are not at the true level it cannot it doesn't matter how bad it gets it doesn't damage us it might damage our presenting psychology for a while but it doesn't damage what we truly are that's ring-fenced And that's so useful to know because it takes a sting out of everything
0: You mentioned earlier on that you've dealt with a lot of leaders. I would imagine that if you're going to fundamentally change the whole organization, you have to start there. And I mean, from a really practical commercial perspective, I'm thinking of maybe independent agency owners who are listening to this. What would you say from your experience of doing this for over 13 years or so have been kind of the financial impact of Quality of Mind? Can you give us some flavor of how that's affected?
1: Yeah, very lucky that, that they sort of see it as, as invaluable because, and I'm talking now about, you know, small organizations where the leaders have done it and they've cascaded it down. I mean, you know, as an organization, you know, that you did the training with some of it, you know, they've put it in there. New starters come and do it, right? So that the leaders got it, they see it. And I think for any business, it's invaluable because it's about the human factor. But in an agency world where your product is your people, right? You just get even if you've got a ten percent increase in the way your people turned up. That's going to have a ripple effect across everything on the P and L, on the on the money they save because they're not ill and taking time off, on the business they bring in at a tangible level, on the value they add to those clients, on the talent that you're attracting and you won't lose in the Great Resignation, right? Just on that, you get your money back, right? So really, because the benefit is so pervasive across so many levels it you know you'll get tiny increases will be worth it but some people would say things like i'm five times more productive now you know and that's just on productivity let alone how much they're enjoying their family and their kids and their health and i mean the benefits for home.
0: I'll add to that because you're right, when I came to your program, there were three new staff members for a company that adopted this. And I was fascinated and I was interviewing all of them, like asking them questions. How has it changed the organization? And they were adding additional thoughts like just the communication between departments, the fact that I think it's events based, isn't it? And events you know it's frantic doing events isn't it but she said there's a calmness that goes throughout and the department leads are very present very thoughtful there's lots of respect for one another so there was all these kind of additional benefits as well as the increased productivity it was just the whole way the organization worked together and with this shared understanding and language which I thought was I mean like nothing else I've ever
1: yeah it's lovely and it goes sort of wider than that they get a real sense of oneness and this will sound trite to some people but the heart of their business I know it's about love and that's the word i think they might have even used on the workshop now you've got corporate people talking about love what no way right but not love in a trite way what they mean is that at our essence, we are all one. Yes, we're going to get caught in our psychology and judge each other, blah, blah, blah. blah. But let's bring it back to that oneness that we all are, we're all trying to do our best we possibly can as a team, especially when things get frantic, right? And we support each other. And one thing I notice in their business is they're very supportive of each other. You know, they talk about, let's all be one family, you know, organization say, oh, let's all be, but you know, th- these guys have not just a nice idea about that, but you really feel like they get that we are one system. And that is flavoured with love, that system, you know. (laughs) And when you get out your own way, it comes through and it sorts you out. Hugely
0: powerful. And just, you know, not only in the work context, but also they were giving reports of how it was already affecting them in their private lives and personal lives. Mm. So all around, I think it's beneficial. And I just would encourage anyone that's slightly curious to follow through with this. So, I mean, Piers, final question, because I'm respectful of your time. What do you see as the future of corporate training?
1: Right, such a good question. I have what I think might happen and I hope might happen, you know, but who knows, the world's an interesting place. But I think there's going to be a a paradigm shift, which will go along with science, who's going for the same thing, where they're realising physicalism, materialism, just doesn't stack up anymore, right? So the consciousness first view of science is growing. And I think that will, at the same time, because the universe is entangled, right? So we'll start to see in organisations that... This idea about layering people up with lots of tools and techniques and psychological efforting, here's how to be the best leader, do this, understand people, blah, 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 blah. blah. This deification of the self, if I can say that, which is a society broad thing, not just organizational, but it means that the self gets protected a lot in the organization. Psychological safety, mental health, lovely initiatives, but they're all based on misunderstandings all based on misunderstandings. So what you'll start to see is that people will start to have their own insights and realizations around the nature of what we are as a system, consciousness, reality. And that will then dribble down into how you develop people. And that, of course, will turn up in businesses. And you might find it happens in some businesses earlier, and you'll probably find you'll get more separation. You'll get patches of businesses that stick in the old, and the other ones will just get further and further, more innovative, more creative, more resilient, more attracting the talent. And you might get a, a divergence in what the corporate world is offering as some go with it more and some stick to their guns more. So I would love to see that in the future, what we talk about quality of mind is actually taught out in schools, because this is a human thing, nothing to do with business at one level. Now, what we do in quality of mind is make it relevant for the workplace in the business context. We add that flavor onto it. But really the core of it should be like they teach hygiene in schools, don't they? How to brush your teeth and Mm -hmm. wash your hands and stuff and, you know, don't pick your nose and that kind of thing. Right. They teach you that. They should, will, maybe, hopefully be teaching basics of what we're talking about, a quality of mind. And then in businesses, we would just add the contextual reference of the implications for that on that would be my wish. And there's actually what I would say, there's a friend of mine, Matt O'Neill, who's a futurist who came on the program four or five years ago, and he's predicting that this sort of thing will be in the workplace a lot more in five, 10 years time.
0: I can't imagine that it wouldn't, let's put it like that, because I mean, I went on your course like a few months ago, already I read four books on the topic. <laughs> I had no idea there was this whole movement going on and there were scientists, philosophers, psychologists, psychiatrists, all talking about this and a couple of documentaries on YouTube as well. And I just find I cannot believe that it's kind of been hidden from my view personally for so long. And to that point, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so keen to kind of share it with those who also are open-minded to exploring further. And that's why we're both going to do a webinar for the creative industry, aren't we?
1: Yeah. Looking forward to that, Jenny, really am.
0: I think it would be for anyone listening to this that's thinking, right, you've got me kind of intrigued, come along to this webinar. We're going to be doing it on Wednesday, the 14th of September at one o'clock. So it's at lunchtime. And just to give you more of a flavor of what we're talking about here. So if anything has resonated with you, I'd highly recommend you come along, listen to Piers a little bit further, ask any questions that you want to ask. Yeah.
1: And you're right, Jane, this is all about getting intrigued and getting curious. Curious is a word I probably overuse, according to a lot of people. But just by getting that intrigue and curiosity to see a little more. So if some things resonated in what we've said in the last half hour Wherever go, oh, I wonder what it is. Don't just dismiss it. Tune into that resonance. What occurs to you about what we said? Play it back a, a couple of times. Even send us over some questions before the webinar right? Yeah. You can join us on the 14th of September for, you know, well, what is that? And, and you can start now, you know, just get that curiosity. There's other resources we could send you, but all you need with this at one level, it's so simple. It's too simple. It's just some curiosity and intrigue. The mind kind of does the rest because this is about being a human being, which you are, right? So this is bound to be relevant. Great.
0: And Piers, listen, who would you like to be contacted by and where's the best place for them to do that?
1: various pay- I mean I'm quite active on LinkedIn so Piers Thurston on LinkedIn the website's Quality of qualityofmind.biz the podcast is called quality of mind we're on YouTube called quality of mind email me peers at makingchangework.co.uk I'm fairly googleable because luckily my name's Piers is a little bit unusual so you can google me google quality of mind love to hear from anyone as you can tell I can't shut up about this so anyone who's genuinely curious and interested I will try and give time to
0: amazing and i know that we've already got some intrigue a couple of people that have contacted me to speak to you so i'm really excited about this and pierce thank you so so much for spending time and explaining because it is a topic that is just above any of the other training that i've ever been on so thank you so much
1: very kind of you to say and i really appreciate you giving me a bit of a platform to talk more about it because i love it so thank you jenny appreciate it
0: If my chat with Pierce has piqued your interest and you're curious to go a bit deeper, or maybe you want to ask questions to see if it might help you or your agency team, then please join us for this Quality of Mind for Agencies mini training on Wednesday the 14th of September at one o'clock UK time. And if you're listening to this in the future, it's 2022. The link to register is bit. L Y forward slash quality of mind. So B I T dot L Y forward slash quality of mind. I hope to see you there.